Are you ready? <laughs> what? What's he talking about? Today is the AFC NFC championship, right? If you're a male and you love football, this is one of your last few opportunities until the NFL combine to get your fix. Man, I'm so excited. We got any Packer fans here? <laughs> we got any Patriot fans here? All right, man. We got any Falcon fans here? Woo! Rise up, right? Next year, next year, we rise up. Don't they keep saying that? Next year, next year, all right. Well, listen, that, I guess that kind of fits in with the message. If you have your Bible today, turn to the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be in two places in the scriptures. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 4 and really in Joshua 14, but we'll get there kind of at the end. Um, have you ever noticed all of the people watching we do in life? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, literally, you... you you go to the gym and you watch people. Some of you have gone back to the gym and I, that's a great thing. You know, I've seen you at the gym and you see me at the gym and, and I, was, I was at a spin class the other night and I literally was on a spin bike for like 50 minutes and I was, wa- here's the coolest thing. I was watching people watch people. <laughs> now, listen, some of you can drop 10, 15 bucks on a good movie and like you'll go see a movie and popcorn, 20 bucks. Just go to the mall Get yourself like a big old Snickers bar and sit down and just watch people. And then watch people who watch people because we spend our lives looking at other people trying to size up our life. And we try to say, you know, uh, what is my life really equal up to? And, and how important is it that <laughs> we don't just watch other people watch people, but, but we have a vision for our life. That's really what we've been talking about last two weeks. We talked about, uh, two weeks ago, we said, you know, it's not about the brevity of our life because we've only got so many days. Our days are numbered. It's about making the dash work. It's about the, the dash between the day you're born and the day you die and making sure the dash you lived was really the dash that God wanted you to live. And and, you know, for some of us, if we ever visit a, a, a gravesite or a cemetery, we walk through that cemetery and, and we get sad because we're like, oh, you know, that, that funeral happened three days ago. The, the dirt's still fresh and they don't even have a headstone. But we look at all these headstones and there's all of this potential six feet under. There's all these people that were born and they died. And you often ask the question, I wonder if they really lived that dash. I mean, I wonder if they lived in such a way that, that at the end of their life, they could say, man, no regrets. That was an awesome dash that I lived. You see, I, I want to talk to you today about staying the course of this life. I think there's a lot to be said about that. We, you know, we live in a generation really of a lot of quitters. We live in a quitting generation. If we don't like something, I mean, free agency in our life runs wild. If something doesn't meet our need, we run to something else or we go to something else, or we go to somebody else, and we go, you know, I want this to work, or I want that to work, but, but there's not a lot in our society where we really talk about staying power. But there's something awesome about when you get to the end of your life, and as you think about your life, you, you get to the very end, and, and you say, wow, look what God did through my life. You know, I often wonder of all those graves if there wasn't a cure for cancer that's buried six feet under. I often wondered if there wasn't a cure for ALS or Alzheimer's or, or there wasn't somebody who should have won a Nobel Peace Prize, but yet their life ended and they never really stayed the course. 
So I want to talk to you about that idea today. You know, I love autobiographies. I'm, I don't read a lot of them. I love autobiographical interviews. What that means is you turn on the channel and you see someone interviewed about their life and you really get to hear the story of their life behind the story. It's kind of like when they interview former presidents. Many times they, they interview them and, and they say, now, when this happened in your presidency, what really happened? And they tell the truth and then you realize that the media only had about a third of the truth. And it's really cool because you see them talk about all these really cool things that happen, and, and, but the best part is that they're like in their 70s or their 80s and they're still like a president. I think there's something to say in our life and in this generation about staying the course. Being able to live this life with such vision and such passion that when we get to the end of our lives, we say, wow. We say, wow. So you watch these interviews and they talk about everything that happens. And man, I, I, I just get excited about all that. But here's what I learn every time. I realize that I and you and all of us, we all wanna finish that way. We all want to finish well. You know, I've never met anyone who trained for a race that said, I hope I quit at mile one. I've met a lot of people at mile six that said, I'm quitting now. (laughs) But the truth is, we didn't get into this race to quit. We got into this race to finish. We all want to feel that when our life is over, we did it. You know, kind of like the other night, Friday night we were up here and the staff team was leading staff infection and we were knocking down some 90s tunes. Man, we just dropped the mic and walk off the stage. I want to drop the mic of my life and walk off the stage. I want to go Seacrest out. Okay, I want to be done. And when I'm done, I want to know that that dash made a difference. That it made a difference. Turn in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This passage of scripture, if you know Paul, Paul used to be a Christian hater. He persecuted Christians. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocked him off of his horse, saved him, changed him, set his life on fire, became one of the greatest missionaries of all time, totally turned his life around, had gone through all types of stuff, had been persecuted, stoned, not like in a concert way, like they threw stones at him, okay? All these different things. And, uh, and, and yet, we see this moment in his life in 2 Timothy 4, where he has what I call a staying the course moment. Listen to what the scripture says. 2 Timothy 4, starting with verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who've longed for his appearing. I mean, don't you want to be the type of person that says, hey, I threw the knockout punch. I was the one that stepped up when someone needed me to step up and throw the punch. That's what Paul said. He said, I fought the good fight. I stayed in the battle. I didn't digress. Don't you want to be the person that that when you cross that finish line, you're the first one to say, and that's my medal. I think we all do. 
And all of us want to know that when our lives are over, just like Paul, we can say we fought the good fight. We threw the knockout punch. We finished the race and we just didn't finish it. We completed the course. We completed the course. You see, the thing about this passage is this. Paul was at a very unusual place in his life. We know from history that Paul, when he wrote these words, was already on trial in Rome. He was already, the proceedings were already happening. The lawyers were already lawyering up, getting ready to say, this guy's going to fry. And they had already had the first proceeding towards his eventual killing. So in the midst of, after the first proceedings of a trial, he goes back and finds Timothy and he pins these words. And what he's really saying is, hey, I'm looking around and I'm seeing my life and I realize that I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. But here's what he was really saying. My departure's near. I can see the end in sight. And here's what he was really saying. Caesar will not kill me. I will choose to lay down my life for Jesus. Isn't that a great way to finish? You can't kill me. I'm going to willingly pour myself out like a drink offering because my departure is near. He didn't just do that. He didn't just look around. He kind of looked back. He looked back and he says, I've fought this thing like a prize fighter. I've run this life like a race. I've trained well. I've hit the hard points and I kept running. I hit mile 26 and I went point two. I did the whole thing. I completed the course. Can you imagine the vivid mind he had when he said those words? But he didn't just do that. He also looked ahead. He said, and now there awaits for me a crown of righteousness. Not a crown that's going to fade. You know, I've, I've run so many races, many times they hand you a medal at the end. And you like the medal because it's cool because you want to say you did it. But you look at it and you go, man, I trained for that. This is plastic. <laughs> See, we, we do a lot of that in our life. Remember we said two weeks ago that we do a lot of things in our life about our eternity portfolio that are about diversification when it should be about glorification. What is it that's gonna last? Paul said, I'm doing this for a crown that will last forever. Like I'm going for the big prize. I'm not going for the plastic medal. I'm going for the crown of righteousness. That's a pretty good ending story. That's a pretty good end cap to a person's life. So I started thinking about this. I said, you know, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle so much to stay the course in our life? Why do we get so off sometimes? Why do we, why do we quit? I want to talk about a few of those things. So if you have a pen, I want you to write this down. First of all, if we're going to stay the course and we're going to finish well, we got to first of all do this. We got to find your lane and stay in it. Find your lane and stay in it. Now, I used to, to serve as a student pastor in Northwest Arkansas, so we were around the University of Arkansas track team a lot. And I actually had some college students that were part of our college ministry that were track athletes. So it was really neat. I got to see them develop as athletes, and then some of them even went on to run in the Olympics, which was really cool. But I remember one guy, he like trained like for five and a half years for the Olympics. He got in the Olympics and in the hundred yard dash, he stepped on the line and got DQ'd. Five years of training and one step outside of the lane and his dream was over. I mean, I meet a lot of people like that. 
Here's what it means to find your lane and stay in it. Stop comparing yourself to someone who is as jacked up as you are. Huh? Look at your neighbor and say, you messed up. Okay, you're as messed up as I am. Okay? You may smell good, but you're just like me. Find your lane and stay in it. Here's the thing you need to realize. You're unique. The lane God has for you is different than the lane he has for somebody else. God wants you to stay in the lane that he puts you in. Because here's what happens. Comparison in this life cheapens the uniqueness of what God wants to do with your life. Stop comparing. They're not in the race you're in. You know, I learned this years ago. I heard a guy say this to me, a great gospel preacher. He said this one time. He said, Sean, never covet another man's miracle. I'm going to do something in someone else's life and we want God to do it in our life. And then we get mad at God when he doesn't do it. God, I want to be a millionaire like her. God, I want people to follow me like they follow him. God goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's the miracle I did in her life. That's the miracle I did in his. That's not your miracle. Why are you coveting someone else's miracle? God has a miracle for you. It's your lane. He wants you to stay in it. But what do we do? We cheapen the uniqueness of what God wants to do. But God says, don't covet that because I got a miracle for you that's yours. Man, I I just think that's so, so telling of our lives. We have got to find our lane and we've got to stay in it. So some of you have been back at the gym, right? Raise your hand if you've been going to the gym. Man, you ought to raise your hand high, man. Come on. You're working it. Come on, man. Little stretchy pants. Come on. So here's the thought. You go to the gym And like me, like I'm a runner, like I've been running now insatiably for like 11, 12 years. I've got this horrible disease, okay? And I just keep running. I'm worse than Forrest Gump. I mean, I just don't even stop, okay? But I go to the the gym and I get on the treadmill. Now, how many of you have ever run on a treadmill before? Like you've actually run, attempted to run on a treadmill, okay? You get on the treadmill and what do you do? You line up and you say, okay, I'm going to pick this treadmill. And you get on that treadmill and, and you push the button and you go beep, beep. And you put it on two and you start walking. And you're walking, you're doing fine, man. Everything's great, everything's good, everything's good. Beep, beep, put it on four, you start doing the light jog, you know, you start getting a little brisk and you're feeling good, you're feeling the flow and then suddenly you take it up to about five and you are running. And you're looking at everyone going, I'm running. Look at me, okay? I'm running, everything's going good, I'm running. And then the inevitable happens. The treadmill beside you becomes occupied by another individual and they get on the treadmill and here's what they do. Beep, beep. Seven, they're on seven, you're on five. So you're over here and what are you doing? You're peeking. You're on seven. I'm just on five. And we begin to compare. As silly as that is, you know what we do? We go, run as hard as I can. And then what you do is you get real smart and you hit stop. You go, I'm doing intervals today, okay? (laughs) But the truth is, that's how we compare our lives. 
We line up next to people and we keep hitting the button trying to be just like them. And God says, listen, don't covet their miracle. Don't covet what I'm doing in their life. I want to do something in your life and you've got to stay in your lane if you're going to find it. Hebrews 12.1, look at what this says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. What? The race marked out for who? Us. Somebody else's race? No, your race. Your race. One time we were, we were training with a group of friends in Arkansas and we had this big group of runners that we ran with every Saturday and we would sign up for races and <clears throat> we signed up for this one half marathon and we told them, we said, okay, listen, some of you have never run with us before. So when the gun goes off, do not follow the crowd because they are literally going to draw you out at a speed you can't stay up with and you can't stay up with them for 13 miles. Stay with the group. Stay with, that was like, stay, it's like Nemo. Okay, like stay with the group. Okay, it's pretty simple. Watch the Disney movie, all right? And so they're basically sitting here and the gun goes off and we tear off and this one lady in our group, she was an awesome lady. Her name was Mary. She just tore off with the group. And we're like, Mary, no, don't swim away, okay? Don't do this. And literally, it took us four miles of running to finally get her reined back in And I'll never forget the look on her face when we caught back up with her. There was this look of sheer terror and fear. And here's what she said. I can't keep up with them. And we said, you're not supposed to. The number one rule of running distance is you got to run your own race. Why? Because you got to stay your own course. You got to find your lane and you got to stay in it. The second one, and it's tougher in our life, is this. We got to get conditioned. We got to get conditioned. Some of you are like, oh, that's the discipline part. That's the part where God actually requires me to experience or go through something or do something to improve myself. Well, conditioning's different for the spiritual life. You see, here's what I know. God wants to allow things and bring things into your life to get you ready for something greater. There's a, a story of a guy in the Bible. His name is Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet, okay? Imagine having someone you work with at work called the weeping employee. Oh, I'm so sad. I just want, you know. I mean, at some time you go, dude, get a smile on your face. Like, what's wrong with you? He was the weeping prophet. And here's why he was weeping. God said, I'm gonna give you all these prophecies about my people. And I want you to go tell them, but none of them are really good. Like I'm gonna bring destruction and I'm gonna bring locusts and I'm gonna bring famine. And so, you know, Jeremiah's like, oh, why do I have to go tell them this, you know? There's a moment after Jeremiah complains to the Lord that the Lord says a word back to him. It's found in Jeremiah 12, verse five. Listen to what the Bible says. If you've raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Sounds logical. If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage the thickets by the Jordan? You see the principle there? He's saying, Jeremiah, if you don't get conditioned for what I've called you to do, you won't be able to do it. So Jeremiah, here's the question. Do you want to stay running with humans or do you want to run with horses? I want to ask you that question today. In your life, you think about the totality of your life. 
Do you just want to live your life breathless? Or do you want to run with the thoroughbreds? He says, hey, you, 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 stumbled, you stumbled in safe country. Have you ever just fallen like inadvertently in the weirdest way in front of public? <laughs> yeah, like you're just walking and you just stumble. And you act like, oh, I got a cramp. <laughs> Jeremiah was saying, hey, is this true? And God said, yes, Jeremiah, if you're going to be the man the person, the prophet I need you to be, there's some conditioning that's got to take place in your life. And do you want to spend your life racing with humans or do you want to race with horses? Conditioning is a natural part of staying the course in our life. Many times God has to take us to a place of straining to grow us. Some of us say, I don't like that. It's just true. It's just how it is. See, here's what I know. Some of you in this room, you've gone through things in your life that have strained you and struggled you and it's been difficult. It's a disease, a financial ruin, a relationship issue, something in your life and you're just kind of like, God, why would you allow that? And God's going, because I wanted you to know what it feels like to overcome, not be overcome. God will bring us to places of pain and suffering. Why? Because he's fitting us for eternity, not for here. He's getting us ready. I mean, do you see that? God's God's allowing all of this to give us the perspective in the heart and the life here to get us ready to spend eternity with him. And sometimes we're like, God, I don't like this condition. He's like, well, it's okay. I don't want to have to put you through it, but I know that you're not ready for eternity yet, but all of this is going to get you ready. So you got to get conditioned. Winston Churchill, he had a statement one time. He said this, he says, a leader is considered great by what it takes to frustrate him or her. Some of us, we get frustrated when the milk at our Starbucks tastes bad. Oh my gosh, I'm going to so tell the world, I hate Starbucks. They totally put the wrong milk in my coffee. Really? Is that what jacks you up? Is that what messes up your universe? Oh man, you're never going to stay the course if that's all it takes to frustrate you. God wants to get us to the point where they can literally throw the coffee out the window and we go, woo, nice throw. A leader is considered great by what it takes to frustrate him or her. God wants to condition us. Number two, we got to stop swerving. Look at your neighbor and say, stop swerving. I'm not convinced you meant that. Look at your other neighbor and say, I said, stop swerving. Okay. Yeah. You go into Walmart and there's this very nice gentleman. He hands you a cart. You take that cart, you go to aisle seven and suddenly you're on aisle 12 because you have a swerving cart. You are pushing that cart with all of your might. You're trying to get where you're supposed to go because you got a destination, right? The kids are in the car and you're like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get out. You get through there. Nice gentleman hands me that cart. You go there. All of a sudden you're on aisle nine. You're supposed to be on aisle seven because that cart will not move. And suddenly you realize the man at the door is Satan. He could have handed you a hundred other carts, but he handed you a swerver. We do that a lot in our life. We swerve. 
Let me say this. Quit trying to run from the very thing that God wants you to overcome. Hebrews 10.23 says it this way. Let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Those Hebrew Christians there were hearing why it was so important because you've got a decision to make. You're either gonna try to take shortcuts or you're gonna try to go around the very thing that God wants you to break through and overcome in your life. And I don't know about you, I've been through multiple seasons of my life where God says, Sean, the reason you are right back here today is I'm trying to teach you to overcome this and not run from this. Doesn't matter if it's leadership, doesn't matter if it's marriage, doesn't matter if it's my finances, God has a way of saying, listen, don't swerve, but here's the problem we have. You ready? Here's the problem. Too many of us have this. Beep, 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 beep. We have a backup plan, right? You ever been in uh, Home Depot and one of those guys, they're on the pallets and they're moving all the stuff around, that annoying sound? Beep, beep, beep. You know, you're, all, you're, you're just going in to get some sticky tape and suddenly you're gonna be run over by this guy because he keeps backing up. Listen, we struggle in this life many times with staying the course because we've got too much of a backup plan. And I wanna say this to you. You need to get rid of your backup plan and you need to start asking God for a breakthrough plan. God wants you to overcome it. I like the way Oswald Chambers says it in his, in, in, in his uh, devotionals. He says, God doesn't give us overcoming life. God gives us life as we overcome. I thought, wow, that is so true. How many times have I prayed, Lord, I don't wanna go through this. I just wanna swerve around it. I just want a detour. God, where's the detour? God, can you reroute me? Like, can you recalculate my life? I don't like this. And God says, no, I want you to break through. And you need to stay the course until you see breakthrough. So you gotta get conditioned, but you gotta stop swerving. Get rid of your backup plan and start trusting God for his breakthrough plan. God gives us life as we overcome. You know, I think the last one to me is so, so important. And this is where I want us to land today. If we're going to stay the course and have the life that we believe God's called us to live and stand at the edge of our life and say, wow, then we've got to stay so that we can stand. We've got to stay so that we can stand. Let, let me explain it to you this way. Turn in your Bible over to Joshua 14 and we're going to close. There's a story of a guy in the Bible. His name is Caleb. If you've ever heard his story, he was one of the, the scouts that <clears throat> when God's people were supposed to go scout out the promised land, Moses said, I'm going to send you two guys. They went over and they saw all these guys that they were you know, living in the promised land. And he came back and, and Caleb said, yeah, I've seen all their armies. They look like grasshoppers. I'm pretty sure we can just squash them. But someone else in the camp said, no man, they're not grasshoppers. There's giants over there. And if we go over there, they're gonna kill us. There will be no promised land for us. So what did Caleb do? He just stayed. And for all of those chapters of scripture throughout all of Joshua, up until chapter 14, he just stayed in the battle. You may not realize this, Joshua, when he took over after Moses left, he had to defeat 33 kings to get to this point in scripture. So it wasn't like they walked into the promised land and it was just like, you know, piece of cake, pancakes. It was like, dude, every day, like, it's, it, we're gonna fight. 
And so Caleb's fighting with him and he's fighting with him and he's fighting with him. And suddenly we see a picture of what it looks like when you and I stay so that we can stand. Joshua 14, starting with verse six, the Bible says this. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back him a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. In verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 45 years since. That time, and he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. That's a good underlining spot in your Bible. Where are you today? Well, I'm 37, I'm married, I got two kids. Well, here you are today. I don't like where I felt, it, it doesn't matter. Here am I, he says, here am I today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go out in battle as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and that their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He said, there's still people in the land and it's my land. It's my mountain. It's my hill. He said, but send me in coach because I'm ready to play. (laughs) Look what it says in verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. You know what he did? Caleb stayed the course had the vision that God had for him, the promise that was given 45 years ago, he stayed so he could have the moment where he could stand. And he stood at the edge of the mountain and he said, I am 85 years young and I can take any mountain and I can take any army because I got the same vigor I had 45 years ago and I've waited till this moment in this life and now I'm gonna take possession of the promise God has for me. Isn't it amazing? People are like, oh, I'm just going to grow old and just going to retire. So tired. Just going to go to the lake. Sit by the shore. Just got to waste away. Well, let me know where you go. I just want to push your body in when you die, okay? <laughs> the truth is, <clears throat> it's not what God has for us. God doesn't want you to retire. God wants you to refire. Some of you go, well, I'm 50 and I'm just tired. Listen, what about the next 50? What if God gives you 25 more great years? Are you willing to stay so that you can stand? Because I tell you, I've been throughout all the scripture. I've never seen a moment in the word of God that jacks me up, gets me more excited than hearing Caleb say, so here I stand. 
And those people on that mountain need to get out of my house. Sometimes you just got to stay so you can stand. You got to get conditioned, guys. There's no, you got to stop swerving. God's going to bring things in your life because he wants you to overcome. He doesn't want you to run. He wants you to overcome. And this life that God has called us to takes on a whole new connotation. Now, I just want to tell you this. Some of you guys know this about me. I absolutely love the men and women who serve in the military of our country. I just do. I have so much respect. I have a nephew. He's on a tour of duty right now in Afghanistan. Just got promoted. So I have so much respect. And I have always, I, I, I love war movies. I love hearing stories. I love hearing stories about groups and troops that were put into battle and how they had all the odds against them. And they just walked in and they stayed the course and they fulfilled the mission that they were sent to do. So a couple months ago, I was watching a program about how they train Navy SEALs. Which I, I just, those are some of the coolest people in the world. I mean, I, I so admire what they do. And when you become a Navy SEAL, you go through a nine-week training program. They take you out through all these different courses. I mean, they literally take you into the surf and almost let you drown. And then they take you to this other beach and they, they have you swim with the sharks at night. And they say, hey, no one's been eaten that we know of. That's what, you know. And then if that wasn't enough, if you don't make your bed right, they take you out and make you get in the surf and then roll you around in the sand and they call you a sugar cookie. Hey, sugar cookie. I mean, they basically for nine weeks tear you down. And then there's this final week called hell week. And for five days, you don't sleep. You train for five solid days. They literally empty you of everything in your body. And here's what they say throughout the whole course. When you get to the point where you can't go anymore, all you got to do to quit is go to the command post and ring the bell. So they have this bell. And they say that many times guys will get injured in the course of the training and they will literally have to carry them over to ring the bell to basically say, I'm exiting the program. They said the worst day of training is nothing as bad as not being able to complete the course, but having to walk over there and ring that bell knowing that you cannot finish. They said it's the worst. I want to tell you, I think our world would be scarier if there weren't men and women who had decided during those nine weeks of training, I will not ring that bell. Because those are the men and the women who've probably defended our freedom. But I want to talk to you. Some of you, you get up every Monday on social media and you ring the bell. Oh, it's horrible Monday. Really? Every day you go to your job and you're like, man, God's given me so much resource. God's given me so much influence. He's given me a vision of what he wants me to do with my life. And what do we do? we go ring the bell. I want to quit. I'm done. In our marriages, we're like, well, I don't like her. I mean, she's, she's not who I married. Well, you're not who she married either. Praise God, you're both still in the same room. But don't ring the bell. 
Some of us have gotten so easy to ring in the bell in our life that we're going to look back in our life and instead of saying, wow, we're going to say, whoa, look what I missed. Look what I missed with my son. Look what I missed with my daughter. Look what I missed with my wife. Look what I missed with the opportunity of leadership God gave me to serve him. Look at, look at what I missed with what I've, I could have invested for the kingdom. I want all of us to stand our feet and bow our heads if you would. Some of you have come here today and here's where you are. You're like, wow, man, like, is that the life that God's calling me to? He's calling me to stand. He's calling me to stay. Yes. Here's the thing I want to say to you. Jesus came and he stayed 33 years so he could stand before the father and say this on your behalf. You ready? It is finished. That's staying the course. So some of you in this room today. You need to give your life to Jesus. Like today is the day. Today's the Sunday. Today's the moment. Today is one of those three to five critical moments in your life that you may not ever get back. You you don't have. You don't know that you got two weeks. You don't know that you got six weeks. But you got now. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to do that. Would you bow your heads with me today? All over this room. You say, you know what, Sean? I realize I'm at a place in my life. I'm empty. I am broken. I realize that I am so far from God because I have never, ever truly placed my faith in Christ. I've gone to church. I've been religious. I've done all. I've even been baptized. Listen, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It's like putting on the t-shirt saying, I've already been a Christian. I'm just letting you know I, I'm, I am a Christian. But the question is this. Have you truly given your life to Christ? If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today and to mean it in your heart and allow Jesus to save you so that you can stay the course. Would you pray with me just silently right where you are? Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Lord, I receive today the free gift of your salvation. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But Jesus, you died for me so that I can have a relationship with you. Jesus, I invite you into my life to forgive me, to cleanse me so that I can live this life and finish well. Jesus, I give you my life today. Come into my heart and save me. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed around this room. There are some of you for the very first time, you prayed that prayer and Jesus changed your life. I want to tell you how excited we are for you. The course for you just began. We want to help you live the Christian life. We're going to talk about that more in a minute, but there's another group here today. You know Christ, Jesus lives in you, but here's what you're doing. Every day you're walking up to that bell and you're saying, am I going to ring it? God says, stay the course. Stay the course. Stay in your lane. Get conditioned. God's fitting you for eternity. So here's what I want to do today. I know that some of you, just like I struggle, you lose heart. You're like, man, how am I going to, I'm just, listen, I want to pray for you and I want to pray over you. I want to invite you right now. If you're here today and you say, Sean, I want you to pray for me that I will stay the course. I want to finish well. I want to look at the end of my life and I want to say, wow, if that's you today, I want you to step out and just come stand right here with me today. Come on, just come stand. I'm done ringing the bell every Monday. I'm done trying to think that I can do this. I need the Lord and I want his power in my life. 
I want his staying power. I want his direction. I want his heart. I want his focus. If that's you today, I would love to be able to pray for you and pray over you today. Listen, this is your life. You're not going to get it back. This day's almost over. Today is that opportunity. I'm going to invite you to just come all around this room. Man, this is so encouraging. Anybody else? Sean, I want you to pray over me. That God would give me the staying power to stay in it. Don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. You say it hurts. I understand. Don't ring the bell. You say I want to quit. I understand Jesus wanted to quit too. But he didn't ring the bell. He went to the cross so that I didn't have to ring the bell. Amen? That's why Jesus did it. So I wouldn't have to go ring it. Let me pray for you here today. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for what you are doing in the lives of these people. Lord, there are people sitting today who they want to be prayed over as well, and I pray over them too. Lord, I ask you that, God, this year would be the year that you give these people a vision for their life like they've never known. And I pray the lens would come through your word. Lord, I pray that you would not only give them staying power, Lord, I pray that you would give them supernatural power to live the life you've called them to live so that the world would know that you're alive. Lord, I thank you for every life that's represented. God, I pray that you would break the chains of bondage of any person down here who's struggling in any way. God, would you break addiction? Would you make them whole in Jesus? God, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you that we get to stay because, God, we get to stand. And I proclaim that in Jesus' name. Amen.